This is The Other 14 Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of The Other 14 Podcast. The only podcast that forgets all about the so-called Big Six and focuses just on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. Oh, how time flies. We are now 10 games into the 2022-23 Premier League season. The season is really starting to take some shape and so is the Premier League table. And some real trends are starting to establish themselves. Newcastle are a force. The refs are poor. And Tom and I have no idea what we are talking about. So this week, as always, I am joined by Tom. Who am I? Clueless. Uh, hello. Hello, <laughs> hello Tom. Um, Tom, we have a lot to talk about this week, looking both at teams performing gloriously and, however, teams that are performing really quite poorly. So we're now 10 games in. Who do you think has the most to be happy about? Hello, Reese. Yes, uh, I'm certainly thinking the Geordies uh, should be most happy right now. As you said, they're a bit of a... Uh, defensively solid, best defence in the Prem actually, only conceding nine goals in total so far. Oh, are they um, rivaling Everton for that? Because they Everton were low scorers, weren't they? Newcastle are now nine goals total conceded, so they're the only team to yet break double digits in terms of goals conceded, which fantastic for them. Unbeaten against both Manchester sides this year, and at time of recording, BBC's favourite for breaking the established big six this year. Uh, also, not to mention multiple goal of the week awards from us, which is Obviously, all that anyone cares about. And um, on another note, also another year goes by where a member of the other 14 has been completely blanked by those in charge of awarding the Ballon d'Or. Outrageous. Well, that is a very good point. Um, obviously, firstly, speaking of awards, Newcastle, as much as they're currently on 15 points and sixth in the Premier League, they, of course, will be most happy about all the goal of the week awards they've been receiving, and also yeah, the uh, the Ballon d'Or refusing to recognise the excellence in the other fourteen. I know that a lot of teams in the other fourteen have players that are standout candidates. Ivan Tony's breakthrough in the Premier League last season, and I think every West Ham fan would have been shouting at their TV seeing those Ballon d'Or results, going, "Why not Ballon Dawson? He was phenomenal last season, and he didn't even get a he didn't even get an honourable mention in the ceremony, which I think is absolutely disgusting. And um, let's just tear FIFA down because they're clearly all corrupt. And well, first things first. Um, over to Tom with the classified results for the game week. Here are the classified results for match week eleven of the Premier League twenty two twenty three season. Brentford two, Brighton nil. Wolverhampton Wanderers 1, Nottingham Forest 0, Leicester City 0, Crystal Palace 0, Fulham 2, AFC Bournemouth 2, Southampton 1, West Ham United 1, Leeds United 0, 1, 2, Everton 0, 0, Newcastle 0, Aston Villa 0, 2, so, Tom, thank you for those results. However, we must sound the alarm. I repeat, sound the alarm. After a total of 
153 days. And Tom, you're quick at maths. You know that that is 13,219,200 seconds. I was just about to say that. Yeah, exactly. Wolverhampton Wanderers have scored a Premier League goal in the second half of a match. Get the fudge out of here. The last one was, uh, not that I need to tell you, but for the listeners, their last second half goal was against an already relegated Norwich on the 15th of May in one of the final few games of the previous Premier League season. So, just how much will that goal and the three points that they earned from it mean to the managerless Wolves? Yeah, I I think it's a huge award and, you know, clearly a a, a life-changing event when teams score in the second half of games. But ultimately, the three points is going to be the key thing there for Wolves. They have been, let's be honest, on a huge slump and just really struggling to get anything going at all this year. So for them to come away with the points is huge and especially against a really struggling Forest side as well. Uh, Second win in 17 attempts and... Yeah, just needed that three needed those three points hugely. And like you said, in the hunt for a new manager, they've had a lot of coming and and goings in terms of managers being mentioned. Lopetegui supposedly coming in and then has decided to pull out of the running because of uh, family uh, commitments. Talks now of Nuno coming back in. So for them just to deal with matters on the pitch, getting the three points against the struggling Forest is going to be huge for them. Yeah, absolutely. And as we say, when you're down in that kind of area, you need to be beating the teams in and around you. As much exactly. as it's, as much as it would be nice if Wolves played Man City to beat them, that doesn't mean anywhere near as much as beating a relegation rival. So for, for them to get the three points from Forest, that is absolutely crucial to their survival. Um, it's interesting to see about Lopetegui. Um, apparently, he reluctantly rejected it. So yeah. The reason was because his, uh, I believe, his elderly father is quite unwell, so he didn't want to have to be living in the UK when his father, yeah. who's unwell, be living in Spain. Um, so I do get that. He's obviously a bit of a knock for Wolves because for them to be able to get a former Spain and Real Madrid manager to take over, that would have really boosted morale around the club. Instead, they're looking to now go back to Nuno, which... I it's an interesting one because first time round Nuno did really well for them got them some really yep. strong Premier League finishes um, a couple of seasons back to back top half of the table really good obviously the way in which he left to go to Spurs I it wasn't but he that... didn't leave though did he got sacked from all didn't he I thought he chose to leave because Tottenham wanted him hang on let's have a look so here's the timeline for it at the end of May, it was announced that he would be leaving the club by mutual con- uh, mutual consent. And then a month later, so on the 30th of June, right. Tottenham then announced him as their new head coach. So I, he wasn't sacked, but obviously I think that was very much a case of Wolves knew that Tottenham would have been coming for him and he obviously yeah. wanted to go to Tottenham. And he was obviously at the end of his um at the end of his contract, I think, as well, wasn't he? No, he a... actually wasn't. He had had a contract extension until the summer say, of yeah, 2023. Yeah. So um it's interesting. 
obviously the way in which he left Wolves might have left a bit of a sour taste in the fans' mouth. Yeah. But you kind of, on the whole, you do say, well, for managers and players that want to progress, if a team is a, of a certain standard approaches them, it's hard to say no. Yeah. Obviously, if it being Tottenham who are garbage approach, that's why it obviously upset a lot of Wolves fans. And then obviously his tenure with Tottenham was quite short. Um, Very short-lived. Yeah, with them being sacked quite early on. Like 10 games, isn't it? It wasn't very long, but in that time he did win Premier League Manager of the Month, which is uh, quite entertaining. Turning back to him now, though, for Wolves, it comes to me as a bit of a sign of desperation because there are other managers... I think that can fill that role. Obviously, bringing Nuno in, it's some, it's a known quantity for the board, and he has performed with them before. So that's one of the reasons why I think they will go with him. My issue, though, is the way he sets a team up, in that they set up for well, he sets up to have like a five at the back with wing backs, so three centre backs yeah. and two wing backs. Wolves currently only have two centre-backs through just squad size and injuries. They've only got Max Kilman and Collins, who they signed in the summer for them. I don't know. And in the meantime, they have been shoehorning other players into centre-back. Yep. It doesn't seem to me that that'll be a perfect tactical fit. And if he wants to go in there and play three centre-backs and aggressive wing-backs, they don't really have the squad for it at the moment. No, you mentioned aggressive wing-backs, but also the fact that a lot of good that came of Wolves when they came up under Nuno was there was a lot of a lot of action through Adama Traore who has fallen off a cliff completely since he obviously made that move over to Barcelona. I think it was a, it was a permanent deal, and then for whatever reasons, Barcelona being Barcelona just didn't work out for him. Obviously, come back, but he's sort of I thought it was influence. only a loan deal. I think it was alone with a view to a permanent move. Oh, okay. Um, That's interesting. That, But the thing is, they obviously made that agreement thinking, well, him being a former player of yeah. theirs. Um, and then they decided that, oh, they can get Rafinha, who is an upgrade on him quite yeah. easily. So I've, not that I feel sorry for him, but he's no. clearly had some sort of expectation of where he was going to be. And yeah, he just got given the boot out of Barcelona pretty quick. Yeah, he, which... he feels as though he's just completely missed, missed the bus. But you would have thought after being rejected by the Catalan Giants, you would then, which sounds like, now I've said that, it sounds like a Pez team, doesn't it? That they don't it have does. a licence yeah. for. We, we have unlicensed teams forming in this in this pod. Yeah. Um, you would have thought that after that rejection, that he'd want to come in, knuckle down, work really hard and start performing for Wolves. I saw him the other week when Wolves lost to West Ham at the London Stadium. He, he came on, and uh, but unfortunately, there was not enough baby oil on his arms to distract people from the fact that it was a That's very thing. poor performance from him. Gone yeah, on the days very... where you're worried about the baby oil. Exactly. Like, don't get me wrong. He's still rapid. He's still lightning fast. But there's absolutely no end product. And I think yep. he's kind of, by most Premier League defenders, has now been sussed out because he got played out the game, mostly by Craig Dawson, which... Obviously, he is a world-class centre-back and should have won the Ballon d'Or. Um, no matter what anyone called Kareem uh, could do about that. But, yeah, it's obviously, I feel for him that he's moved. But, yeah, Nuno's last stint was very much built around him him being excellent. 
And he doesn't have that to rely on anymore. He doesn't have Matt Doherty to rely on anymore, who was a stellar performer for him. No Connor Cody. No Connor Cody. I guess they'd still do have a solid midfield partnership of Moutinho and Neves. Yep. But that's not enough when they don't have any strikers um, to score goals and they don't actually have any defenders to fill out the team sheet. No. And another thing I've also found out, obviously, um, was it Saar saved a penalty at the weekend? Um, yes. Against, I think it was Brennan Johnson who took the penalty for Forrest. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually been playing with a broken bone in his wrist since August. What, Jose Saar has? Jose Saar has been playing with a broken bone in his wrist. Do they not trust their backup keeper so much? So their backup keeper is Mataya Sarkic, who um, he's a young goalkeeper from... Well, I say young keeper. He's 25 now from Montenegro. But you would have thought they would have given him a chance over Apparently, yeah. a broken-wristed... Just give him a chance but to recover. Apparently the, the the break isn't um a bad break whereby you know his hands sort of falling off, but it's just a, a, a probably like a an actual fracture in, in a bone around his wrist. So he can continue to play with it. it. It might be a little bit sore, but it's not sort of threatening um further injury by sort of playing with it. So obviously Sars happy with that. The medical staff are happy to do that. So absolutely fair play for him to just sort of be still out there. Seems really rogue, doesn't it? It does seem a bit rogue though, yeah. Thing is, it's all well and good now, but if down the line suddenly <laughs> a bit extreme, I was gonna say if his arm falls off. But you know what I mean? If he then suddenly yeah. sustains a, a worse injury, people are only gonna point fingers and go, Oh, that was a real mismanagement of the situation. Yeah. Is that when you hear of players playing on with um with injections that they get injected all the time to keep themselves yeah. going. I know there were cases last season where some West Ham players, because such a small squad, played on with those sorts of injuries and they were coping game by game by having painkiller injections to keep themselves going. Yeah. It's it's not good and will only lead to long term deterioration. And but I suppose you're right, if the me if the medical team and SAR have agreed to it, it just seems bonkers. You've got another goalkeeper, use him, let him Take that time to recover. Yep. Um, but you know, saved the penalty the weekend, so yeah, fair play. Yeah, um, absolutely. And well, on the other end of that uh, penalty was another poor Forest performance. There, there's no saving them now, is there? No saving them, and they really didn't help themselves at the weekend. And you probably, I'm going to get onto this because it has sort of been a huge talking point about the, the preamble of the game before the weekend. Um, so I don't know if you saw this. So Forrest, before the start of the game, tweeted out a picture of uh, Emmanuel Dennis sitting on the turf of Molyneux. It's all photoshopped. And he's being surrounded by three wolf cubs. And oh, the cool. caption at the top is simply one word, playtime, full stop. Um, <laughs> Uh, and oh, then dear. The, the tweet was later deleted before the start of the game, I think, or maybe due, I'm not sure which point it got deleted, but Ruben Neves actually picked up on it and sent it through to the Wolves WhatsApp chat and basically used it as inspiration for the game. And then obviously Wolves go on to, to win the game uh, 1-0 and then Wolves post something directly after the game, posting the final score. Obviously Wolves won Nottingham Forest nil with a tree stump in the middle of... <laughs> The Molyneux pitch, obviously photoshopped, <laughs> and an axe in the middle of the tree stump, uh, and the good. caption "Playtime's over." Oh, uh, I like that. 
with the um with the advertising horns at the back saying save trip back to uh to Knott's Forest. Oh that so well, um see this is the thing and te- I feel some teams are really disengaged with it. Yep. Is that that sort of nonsense on social media is fine if you're doing well and there are times where if if it backfires on you you can have a little bit of a laugh about it if the team's doing well. Yes. But they've played 10 games, they've won one of them, they've drawn two of them and they've lost seven now. And their goal difference is minus 16, which is putting them beneath Leicester now at the bottom of the table. Like, yes, can Steve you Cooper be that clueless? Can you be that disengaged with what fans will feel and what the public yep. will feel to think that that is ever a good idea? It, it just feels as though that was posted by someone who doesn't really follow football or is not sort of currently in tune with what actually is going on at the club. It actually strikes me as the sort of thing that something would come from American sport. It does, actually. It really does. Yeah, yeah, you're 100 uh, like, right there. The thing is, so many teams are so disengaged on their social media and putting nonsense out there. I remember there was a couple of seasons ago now when West Ham were doing pretty poorly. Um, it was before it was while Pellegrini was still in charge before Moyes then took over in the uh, December, and it was at the time where West Ham had Jack Wilshere in their team. Yep. Well, I say in their team in their medical room. <laughs> and he did a prank video at the club where he climbed inside one of the giant um, washing machines. Oh, and, I think I saw this. Yeah, and jumped out on a couple of players to scare them. Yeah. Which, if you're doing well, if you're kind of top half of the table, you're cruising and you're playing well, you kind of go, oh, that's a bit of social media engagement. We can laugh at that. But when it's a player that had hardly played was earning such an eye-watering amount of money to not play football, and then he goes and dicks about in a washing machine. Like, yeah, there's only yeah. going to be negative repercussions, and like, with just this not Wolves living one, in reality. Exactly, and with this Wolves one, like, you kind of go, oh well, it's only one image on social media. You go, yeah, but what sort of what sort of message does that send across? No, exactly. And um, and Steve Cooper said in his post-match comments, basically said that you wouldn't be surprised at this. He said it wasn't helpful and it really wasn't a good idea. Um, he, that... he was confused as to why the post was made. And and obviously, clearly, it's hugely backfired on them. So Massively. It, it feels like a um, an intern sort of good at Photoshop, probably just sort of had a spare five minutes and decided this would be a good idea. But someone's someone's more senior's got to sign off oh, on yeah, that. 100% like, he's got you're to right, sign and off. And it, it's yeah. just it's just silly. It was um, just stupid. But that wall that but that win for Wolves has actually then taken them out of the drop zone. They yeah. are now 17th. And that is still a long way to go for them. Oh but massively. They're, they're only on nine points from ten, but it's a yeah. great win for them. It has then kicked Southampton into 18th spot who only able to get a draw at home to West Ham at the weekend. Um, so yeah, Wolves, even managerless, are starting to look a little bit better. So good on them. And as we said, for Forest, I I don't see them surviving this at Ooh. this point. Also, They're... one thing we haven't mentioned, um, which again sort of sums up the week that Forest have had: sacking their head of recruitment, ahead of scouting. Yeah, which is really interesting. Um, that they've so obviously we were talking about in episode just gone about Cooper we were surprised that he was given a new, given a new contract and you can think well at least he's adding some level of continuity to it 
and then they've sacked their chief recruiters, which to me, they didn't sign all 23 players. And you would say that the players that they signed aren't necessarily bad players. Right. Like you look at most of them, you'd say Jesse Lingard, when he played at West Ham, good player, even then when he made some appearances for Man U last season, wasn't awful. And then I think of some of the later ones. Serge Aurier, like a player that has played Premier in the League Champions experience. League and loads of Premier League experience. Yep. Like they've they found a number of good players. The issue clearly is the fact that they, and it's not on them that so many were bought in because it's not their decision. They would have been told, we need X amount of players. We need this position, this position, this position filled. Yep. They then don't make the decision that they need to recruit 20 of them. So to pin them, effectively pin all the blame on them and not Steve Cooper. And I'm not either saying it's Steve Cooper's fault, but they did need to build a squad. It's just when you've got that many players, it was always going to be a hot pile of garbage. Yeah. And it has been a hot pile of garbage. And it's just not working out for them. And it just seems like they've been massively scapegoated. 100%. And there's quite an interesting um, article by The Guardian um, that picks up just after the news got announced. Um, Obviously, the Forest um, way of recruitment since sort of, I think, beginning of last year. When they were sort of towards the bottom of the champ, uh, bottom of the championship, and then Steve Cooper obviously comes in. So their process of bringing in transfers or bringing in new uh, squad members is very data driven and sort of looking beyond sort of outside of the English football scope, sort of looking towards the Bundesliga mm-hmm. uh, and elsewhere, gradually bringing players in. Um, and though those was what the the heads of um, the scouting and the recruitment were very much in charge of and it clearly had worked for them quite well going through and obviously getting promotion from the championship and then into the playoffs uh into the playoffs and then into the premier league now what happens in the premier league where they suddenly need a host of new players the owners now think that okay you seem to have done a good job and we know roughly what we want to do so we're going to give you a bit of a hand um at that. and then that's sort of them getting involved with it a little bit, so and then, gave, like you said, like they gave them a hand. Basically, said during the summer. Um, hang on, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? So yeah, it says some of those principles of how they gone about sort of transfer strategy were forgotten by the club this summer, as owner Maranakis and his son Miltos became increasingly involved in signings following their surprise uh, surprise promotion. So I've got two things with this. The first one, that's like hiring a builder to do your extension partway through, going, "Ah, oh, you've done all right so far." Let me try and lay some bricks. And then when it all goes wrong. And and then it falls down and you go, oh, those builders were weren't they? (laughs) Exactly. The second point about owners and their sons getting involved, going back again, God, so many seasons now in West Ham, there was, um, so David Sullivan, his son, Jack Sullivan, when he was like a teenager, would tweet about certain players to gauge fans' interest to see if they would, (laughs) which, as you can imagine, as a uh, as a scouting technique, <laughs> didn't work at all. It's madness when you're it, when you're paying for someone to do a job. Let them get let on them with do it. it. Not then, not get involved and then sack them when it goes poorly. Yeah. Oh, so an- another another week in the wonderful world of forest. Jesus and wow. Tune in next week to see what else happens. But pretty much, it is almost like a, a soap opera at this point, yep. isn't it? Pretty much. Just waiting for the dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Like, oh, wow. 
we'll see uh looking at forest let's see uh who they've got coming up so oh they've got an easy run now um through to the world cup uh they've got brighton liverpool arsenal brentford palace in the premier league i mean um, do you think really need do you think they'll game. be on more than 5 points by the world cup no <sighs> No, really not. I think 100% Steve Cooper would have been looking at this Wolves game and thinking, and especially with their upcoming fixtures, and thinking, damn, I need some th- I need three points from this game. Well, if you look, just... look at their last few games, yeah, like they from like their last few, they their last five, Bournemouth, they lost three two, yeah, at home, like and were two 0 up at uh, yeah, exactly, mad game, they would have wanted yep. to win that, yeah, but then lose three two to Fulham, who you'd go well. If, Championship promoted rival. Yep. Then Leicester, they then play Leicester. They lose four nil, a team that was down with them. Yep. Relegation zone, and then they draw with a poor Villa side, who you go, oh well, we need points from them, and then losing to a poor Wolves side. So they're doing exactly what we say you shouldn't do, and they're losing points the around them, around them, yep. and it's going to cost them because looking now, yeah, from the outside you'd go oh, well, you don't expect them to get anything from Liverpool and Arsenal, which they probably won't. But you can't be backing that anyway. You can't be... No. Oh, I've just seen when they come back from the World Cup, their first two games are uh, away at Old Trafford and then at home to Chelsea to round, oh, off, the, to round off the year. Yeah. Oh. Good luck. Going into 2023 with five points. Good yeah. luck, Steve Cooper. Oh, but going back to the main point, managerless Wolves... A good three points out the relegation zone, and um, good luck to them. Let's just hope yeah. that they get some. Hopefully, it's the do. start of a um, mm. changing form, exactly. And because uh, it couldn't have got much worse for them, and it is all going all right for the Magpies up in the northeast. So they are now sitting sixth in the table with 15 points. So, in that European space. And to be honest, Tom, it's exactly where we thought they would probably be at this stage of the season, if not by the end of the season. So they've now gone. Um, they've now five games in the league undefeated after a little slow start. So that is now nine points from their last five games. And they've gone and snatched a draw away at Old... I say snatched a draw at Old Trafford. They played out a very good draw away at Old Trafford. Um, they're going to be there for the rest of the season. I feel like it's almost the point where we don't need to talk about Newcastle much more because they're not going to really throw any surprises our way as they will just be there. That is where Newcastle belong for the season. No, you say they won't throw any more surprises. I still think if they put in a result or put in a performance against one of the big six, Mm. um, similar to like, especially not so much the United game but the City game yeah the, um, the result against City was good for them yeah that I'll was just that. that was just a side of I think of what's to come over the next probably sort of five or so years for this Newcastle sides but like you said Newcastle are exactly where we expect them right now completely sort of putting behind what was a just farcical sort of last couple of years in terms of management by Mike Ashley the new ownership group no matter what you think of them, have come in and just set this all out straight away and Newcastle are, are rightly where they should be right now. Sixth, they're sort of knocking on the door for that. those um, European places. Well, they, they're in the European places. Yeah, they're currently do they, do in they, the second Europa League spot. Do they knock on the door potentially for 
or is it maybe a little bit too far for top four? Well, looking at how tight the table is at the top at the moment, in terms of top four, you look at the teams in and around there. I'll be honest, Man City are going to be up there. Like They lost at the weekend, but still phenomenal. With Arsenal and Tottenham, it depends on their legs, how much they can keep it going into the season. We know that City can put in high-level performances for all 38 games. Yep. Tottenham and Arsenal have been known to both Spurs it from time to time and drop out. Um, Liverpool, slow start, picked up a little bit, but they've not been great for the season. No. And then Man U, they still don't seem to have found any consistency to be able to churn out a load of results under Ten Hag. So there's a legitimate chance that if they particularly pick up them points against those teams, that they've got as good a chance as anyone else to be in that top four. They can yeah. sneak that spot. I think they they are getting Europe this season. I don't see 100%. them. I don't see them finishing outside shocked. of seventh. To be honest, yeah, yeah. I, I would be shocked. The only threat to that is possibly Brighton, but Brighton have now lost two games on the bounce, uh, which isn't great for them. Uh, they lost two games of the bounce. They have lost two games of the bounce. They lost to Brentford. Oh wow! And then... That's actually three. It's three in the last five. Actually, just looking at it. Yeah. So Brighton have lost three in their last five, but I don't think that's really on Deserby, To be honest, at this point, no. the, the Brentford no. result was a little disappointing for them, um, and the game before that was uh, playing Tottenham, where they were robbed a little bit. That was it. Yeah. But um, Newcastle's yeah, results—they're just churning them out. They're getting points after points. So they're where they are, having already played. Liverpool and Man City and they got the draw against Man City and I think they were unlucky against Liverpool so they've now played Man U so that is now three of the big six yeah and they've been able to get two points from that so far which is a fairly okay return and then most of the rest of the league they're Getting, they're they're just churning points out, which is really good. A couple more draws than they would have liked at this point, but between now and the World Cup, they've got Everton tomorrow night as we're recording. Yeah. Then they're away at uh, Hart Lane, which is I don't know, which say, might soon to become the Google Stadium or something like that. Because I think that Google are supposed to be buying that out. Brilliant. That'll be fun. Yeah. Um. Then. Home to Villa, away at Southampton, then home to Chelsea, away at Leicester, and then home to Leeds to round off the year. I don't see where they really... They won't drop a significant amount of points to rule them out of contention no. for going for top four at this point. No. They're, once again, Eddie Howe's done a phenomenal job. He's brought in the right players at the right time. It just seems like... Not that I'm being mean to Newcastle, but can we stop talking about them? That's just because <laughs> I don't I don't think they're going to shock and surprise us in a way that really we need to talk about them because it will I think we're gonna have a case of week after week it'll be Newcastle doing Newcastle things now. They're just getting points and racking them up and playing well. Yeah, exactly. I think Eddie Howe's pretty much got his side set up the way that he wants to. Defensively, like we've already mentioned at the um top of the show, um nine goals conceded so far in the in the prem is the best defensive record out of anyone not just the other 14 out of anyone mm-hmm. so fantastic at the back there um the last couple of games so have been blanked this week uh going to old traffords um which i think according to this i haven't won at old trafford actually since 1972 and wow. sir alex never actually lost a game against newcastle in the in the, pre- or in the league 
since his entirety of his um, tenure at United. I think that was the stat, wow. um, which is a mad one. Um, just goes to show how good Sir Alex was. Um, but they obviously yeah, it got blanked at the weekend. Uh, but prior to that were nine goals in two, but against two teams that basically gifted them. It was two bad days of the office for, 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 for Brentford and um, and Fulham. But they the still one big had to thing... get the results. They still, still had got... to get the, like, yeah, exactly. they still got the results. Neither, neither but... going into those team games would you say we're a bad team. Like, we no. saw how Brentford lost 5-1 to Newcastle and then this week they bounced back with a 2-0 win against a very strong Brighton side. No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, obviously they can, they can go forward well. The only issue I see right now is injuries for them. And Isaac is out and now being confirmed until after the World Cup. I was about to say, oh, that's a big loss for Sweden, but I don't think Sweden qualified. No. Uh, I don't think, no. I don't think he... No, I don't think they did. Um, no, he'll obviously just miss miss games because Newcastle are obviously not playing at all. So, um, But then yeah. he's not scored a huge amount. Like You look at the players that are currently shining for them at the moment. You've got Almiron is scoring most of their goals at the moment over the last couple of games. Um, and then so is uh, CC Jack Grealish, <laughs> and so is Gimmer Rice with uh, with he's got a couple recently. Yeah. So as much as yeah, I, Isaac is a loss. Um, they've still got other players to step in and yeah. do jobs and score goals for them. They're no longer think, relying on just one no. or two players for. I think the only the, the only one yeah the only one downside that we have to say about Newcastle this week is that they didn't score and it wasn't a banger. Obviously, so that's they, true. They, they can't be up for goal of the week. Yeah, as resident goal of the week experts and champions, yeah. they've let themselves down a little bit. They yeah. have let their families down. Yeah, they've let their friends down. They've let their family down. They've let their local yeah. community down because it's another week. Let Eddie down. Yeah, they have let Eddie down because it's another week where they will not be bringing back the goal of the week award. Yeah. Saying that, they do have two opportunities over the next uh, seven days to be able to do that. And to be honest, would not surprise me if they put contenders in both because they are just scoring good goals at the moment. So another thing that came out this week, Tom, was that the EFL has actually moved towards lifting England's 3pm television blackout. Ah. So for international listeners, and I know we have many of them, when we have 3pm kickoffs in English football on a Saturday, none of them are televised. So this goes back for years and years and years, this rule and this law, in that these games aren't allowed to be televised in the UK because it is to encourage fans to not sit at home and, say, watch a big Premier League game on three o'clock and actually get them to go out and support their local club, which for me makes a lot of sense. And I actually quite liked it as a rule. Yeah, I like that. So the EFL have now issued a request for proposals for broadcasters for the rights from 2024-2025 when the Sky Sports agreement expires. So currently, Sky Sports is the predominant Premier League broadcaster and, in all fairness, EFL broadcaster in the UK. So they will have most of the games, which is worth billions upon billions upon billions. So... What they have put out in their statement, um, so this was a statement from the EFL last Wednesday, rights for all 1,891 matches across the league, EFL Cup, EFL Trophy and end-of-season playoff matches are available for prospective bidders. 
This would include the 3pm Saturday games, which are currently subject to the blackout in the United Kingdom. The blackout, which was implemented in the early 1960s, was designed to protect attendance in the lower leagues. So this is really interesting in that they're thinking that although at the moment no games are broadcast at 3pm so to protect the other teams, they're seeing that if they're trying to sell those rights, yeah, they'll then be able to make more money than what through that than the clubs would make on ticket gates. Yeah. Which is really interesting to me because I think it's a very big risk. Obviously, they would have done a lot of research into this to have a look at it. Where, at the moment, the 3pm blackout does provide a chance of, like, we know there are set games which you're just not going to get on TV, which is fine. But I think that then if those games are then available to be broadcast, particularly the Premier League games, the TV companies will want to try and avoid clashes. So now I would just see that the game's maybe being split even more across the day. So yeah. I'd, and the only, moment... the only the only way I, I can see it probably the way I, I'd like to see it work um, is I would still like to have the the original like the the ongoing format right now of like you've got you know Saturday three o'clock switching on Sky and you've got Jeff and the boys sitting there watching like all of the games. But when there's an actual highlight of something happening, show it. That is true. That's I like a hybrid. That. That's a hybrid of showing games live, but still having what I because I, I I'm not really one for change, and I I like the the current setup. But I I get it if it's financially viable and better off for the clubs to go down that direction. But I I, I don't know. I, I I don't know. See, my thing is, in terms of how it will affect. The other 14, I think, at the moment, the other 14 make a huge amount of money from television rights from the Premier yeah. League. There's no doubt about that. They do. It's it's helping support a lot of teams. Where I think the issue may be is then television companies and broadcasters will look at, and also those selling on the products that the EFL will look at, yeah. going, well, we're now going to have, and this will have trickle-down effect through all the leagues, is that if they're going, well, actually, if we have three so say we have five 3 p.m kickoffs on a saturday they're not going to try they're not going to go through the cost and divide up their market and their audience by just having it saying showing them on sky sport the five games on sky sports one through to five yeah are they because that divvies it up and then they're they're splitting all their ad revenue and it won't work well you will unlikely have just a day of those games being split up back to back to back. So starting with like a 12.30 kickoff all the way through to, and at the moment we get through to late in the day. And I think at the moment we're already having some absolutely silly kickoff times. Looking at the other week, not this weekend, but the weekend before, the Sunday night game between Everton and Manchester United, I believe, it was a stupid o'clock. No yeah. one... I like watching a lot of football. I think during lockdown, it was very... I did enjoy it, mainly because it was lockdown and there wasn't much else and to do. And it was the only thing on. It was the only thing exactly. On. It was the only live football that was on. You could watch a load of games throughout the whole day. But now, like, no, where are the fans? Like, if you're going to a game, if you'd like to go to a lot of away games, and suddenly they're like, oh, you've got a, uh, you've got a 7.30 kickoff on a Sunday. 
Yeah. No one's going to want to go to that and then try and find journey home on a Sunday. And if you're working as well, to then get home to then work on a Monday morning. I just think there's parts of this that there are parts of this that look out for fans, but I think there are parts of this which can be detrimental to the fan experience, which yeah. could involve having fewer fans at the games, which so, gate sorry, tickets. Are you, are you saying that these games would then be televised at separate points so that you can have a split between games or well, would thinking, they still have the same three o'clock um, well, sort of what, bracket? What would then be compelling them to keep them all at three o'clock? Because if you're, as I said, if you're keeping the only thing, all... go on. The only thing that I can see that work, or the only way I can probably see that working is that the way the rights then get divvied up, more of the rights end up with the streaming services, i.e. your primes, who have the facilities to have multiple stations open for multiple games at the same time. I get that. I just don't think it works. I, I do, but I... So that system at the moment obviously does work, and there were particular times during lockdown where you did have also be like, oh, there are three games at the moment. They're all yeah. broadcast. Because during there, they suspended the law. So there were yeah. the 3 p.m. kickoffs could be televised because no fans could go. Yeah. Um, I just think it's going to end up having the day split up so much at... Like currently, I think it's a stretch. Some of the Monday, I like Monday night football, but sometimes they're quite difficult for fans. And then I don't know. I think as easy as it is to go, oh, well, it's just going to boost a lot of revenue for the leagues. Absolutely fine. But I think part of the product that they're selling is fan attendance and fan engagement. And you could run a risk of seriously losing a lot of that. Yeah. Which then diminishes yeah. the product itself. Yeah, 100%. We don't really want to be going back to um, just empty stadiums. And speaking of diminishing products, well, West Ham certainly aren't that. And they're now on a run where they are undefeated in five games in all competitions. Yes, that is including two European fixtures. But considering not that long ago, they were toying with the relegation zone and they had a very slow start, having not won any of their three opening Premier League games. They've turned it around quite significantly and the result at Southampton was very much coming back from 1-0 was a sign of a team on a bit of a resurgence, wasn't it, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. And looking sort of more closely to the league, that's three undefeated now. Um, Obviously, back-to-back wins prior to the Southampton game and just unfortunate, I would say, probably not to pick up all three points on the South Coast. We'll get that into that in a minute. But West Ham do seem like a side now that... uh, gradually seem to get things together and we did sort of say this a couple of weeks ago um when we were sort of seeing West Ham sort of languishing down the bottom of the table there's been a lot of change well I say a lot of change but a lot of new faces coming into that West Ham squad and more particularly coming into that starting 11 and we did say and Moyes said at the time that it was going to take a bit of a time to try and bed those um bed those um bodies into um into the starting 11 and actually get a bit of um impact out of them and it just now starts to feel as though that's now coming to fruition like Skamaka is playing I think fantastically right now and also going to the fact that we're now starting to see a bit of resurgence in form for the likes of Jared Bowen who has been completely off the ball from the start of the season but I think um, minus obviously last game against Southampton uh, was um, scoring back-to-back games I think it was 
Yeah, him and Skamaka. Admittedly, for Bowen, one of them was a penalty, but yeah, but it's, it's still, still counts exactly. I think you're right about players being bedded in uh, because now Skamaka and uh, Pakatar have become very much a staple of the starting eleven, as has Tilo Kera. Although they have been a little injury struck, so that's why I think West Ham fans will look at the game and go, "Oh, we did only get a point away at a poor Southampton side at St Mary's." But so their starting lineup, they had effectively five fullbacks in their defence. So they had wing back of Emerson and Soufal. They then their three centre backs were Aaron Cresswell. Tilo oh, wow. Kera and Ben Johnson, who all for their games this season have pretty much played either and last season played either left back or right back for themselves. So the fact they that they've had to adapt these players to a starting eleven because they've had injuries to Craig Dawson, which I don't think is too serious. Kurt Zuma, neither of those two were in the matchday squad. Yeah, they've still got. Long-term injury to uh, Aguered, who is back in training this week. And then their other centre-back, who is their main one, is Angelo Ogbonna, who was on the bench in an unused substitution in the game. So it, it was a result and a good point with very much a round pegs in square holes type lineup. Yeah. And to be honest, going 1-0 down, let's get into it. 1-0 down... We shouldn't it, really be 1 0 down. Yeah, you? well, it was a goal to uh, Piro, who has only scored two goals in the Premier League, both against West Ham. But who would you say assisted that goal, Tom? Um, let's just have a look who the referee was for that game. Uh, no, oh, sorry, I've said, I said my answer. Oops. Um, yeah, um, the referee just, I mean, I, I, I said to you sort of in the. Um, uh, prior to the records, I was sort of watching the highlights of the game, and on first sort of watch through because it was all sort of happened quite quickly. Uh, so Perot sort of comes through, um, and then I sort of see sort of Bowen sort of turning up and turning around to the referee, and he sounds like, "What? Well, why are you complaining? You, you know, you just, it wasn't a foul. He clearly hit the ball off you, and then goes on to score. And then sort of on second watching, I was like, "Oh wait, the referee just completely blocked off Jared Bowen." So I don't know how he doesn't sort of call the play back and just said, yeah, my fault. I've got a little too close to the action there. Um, maybe that was my fault. And it was very much my opinion that if the ref did get involved in, at the end of the day, they can't predict where the ball's going to go all the time and they do do their best to try and get out of the way. And yeah. we do have very few incidents like this. But, but it not was if you're my, standing right next to the guy. But it was my understanding that if the ref does interfere with play like that, it becomes a drop ball. Yeah. Which obviously, I suppose the difficulty is, is he gets in the he gets in the way, and then a split second later, Southampton score. Yeah. And the stadium's going mad, and you kind of think, well, it would take an absolute huge amount of nerve to then blow up for a drop ball in that instance. Like it couldn't have it. it like that would take some real bottle, or in uh, Troy Dini's um, lingo, some real cojones to cojones. be able to do that. Yeah, it was. It it's kind of tough, but it it just doesn't seem like the ref is following the guidebook there. 
No, I mean, well, you, you say that. I mean, yes, it is tough for referees to, you know, that requires a bit of nerve to actually make those decisions. But if you take the whole environment out of it, that's a decision that should be being made. I think this is the frustration that we have right now between referees and and what's happening actually in the game because referees aren't making those decisions, not on a consistent basis anyway. No, I think looking at just consistency in decision-making, we had last week uh, Fulham v West Ham, Dawson was pulled down in the box by Pereira. That was given as a penalty. Then this week, Fulham were the victims of the same thing. And it was uh, was given as a penalty, which Mitrovic then got the equaliser in the two-all. And then in this game, Suchek was brought down uh, with a cross going into the box, was wrestled to the ground. Nothing was given. And I'm well, pretty a, sure a there was... move, I think that was David Moyes described it. <laughs> Very much akin to the Olympics. Uh, I think there was another instance as well this weekend, I can't remember it exactly, where a player was brought down in the box when a ball was coming in and it wasn't given. And the consistency or sorry rather the inconsistency is quite shocking i don't really want to get into another discussion about var because you know we've we've done it on multiple occasions already so far um and clearly it's not sort of nothing is changing right now um i just think you know moyes was sort of apoplectic realistically about sort of um everything that the referee uh, did not just the referee but also VAR um, and I think he also described the, the, the whoever was on VAR duty for the um, game at St Mary's at the weekend was um, your classical um, should have gone to spec savers <laughs> um, other glass <laughs> manufacturer or providers are available but yeah it, it's, just, it's just been another weekend realistically of, of just some poor decisions um, it's one of those that though a lot of the distrust and annoyance from referees does come from the inconsistency. And although a decision may be unpopular, the more a decision like that is made, the more accepting fans will be. So with the exactly. Southampton one, if he'd made that decision that, um, yes, he got in the way and gave it uh, and then said, oh, it's a drop ball, the goal doesn't stand. First time round he does that, fans are going to be annoying. But in a couple of instances time where it's been given multiple times where referees are all seeing the same from the same hymn sheet, everyone will go, oh, that's annoying, but that is the rules. Exactly. And I, and I think also sort of looking at that decision um, regarding the uh, Bowen incident, <clears throat> the Bowen incident at the weekend, like if you're watching the highlights or watching it live uh, and the replays directly afterwards, 19 out of 20 Premier League supporters um 19 out of 20 club supporters will look at that and say, yeah, that should have been disallowed. Only Southampton fans would say that it's not. But then when you're looking at it afterwards, outside of the game situation, Southampton fans will then come along to it and say, actually, yeah, that probably should have been disallowed. Exactly. So it's just giving the referees the confidence to actually make those decisions, which I think it just, it, it's, yeah, it's well, just the consistency basis yeah. more than well, anything else. Well, if you look at it, last, last week, Fulham fans would have been angry going, oh, well, Dawson got pulled down. That seems a little cheaper as a penalty. But then this week, they're laughing because they had a player pulled down and they've won a penalty and got exactly. to get a, get a point from the game. Um, it's all good rose into glasses when it doesn't happen to you. Exactly. And I, I know every ref cannot be the same because they've got to cover so many games. There's so many yeah. officials and they're not like one unimind 
but I suppose VAR was meant to do that, was meant to assist with referees with aligning themselves all to making similar decisions. And I know there are instances that go game by game in terms yep. of aggressiveness of tackles, letting the game flow, that sort of thing. I feel there is some leniency towards because it just depends how the individual game is being played. But with something like being brought down in the box from a from a corner when the defending player and the the offender um, in the foul isn't even looking at the ball, that seems pretty clear cut and all of them yep. should be given. Yeah. However, because if you're not looking at the ball, you're not trying to defend. You're trying yeah. to just tackle the player. It's not NFL at the end of the day. You can't just block off a player. So no. Um, but say we just need, and the hope is more consistency in decisions being given. That's the thing. There'll be more acceptance around it. Exactly. Um, but going back to the game, obviously West Ham one 0 down might be slightly disappointed, and I know. There's a chance we might move on to this in a goal of the week feature uh, coming up. Um, Equaliser for West Ham. Is Declan Rice uh, phenomenal or is he just kind of okay? Um, well, I'm, I'm not. I won't. I won't feed into your West Ham ego, but it, it was. A, it was a nice goal. It was a nice goal, and we'll talk more about that a bit later. And Tom, replacing Stats Corner this week, you have a little feature on telling us a bit of about life down under in the Championship. Yep, life down under in the Championship. It's a new feature this week, just a little look in on our friends down in the Championship and seeing who is doing well in and around the promotion spots and who is the most likely at this moment in time looking to be favourites for the promotion and the either introduction if you're a new side or a reintroduction into the other full team for the next season so looking at it we have got uh, Burnley and Sheffield United currently holding the automatic spots both on 25 points from 14 games uh, Burnley under Vincent Company the new boss has started uh, off life actually quite brightly um, for Burnley and they look um, very much one of the front runners for promotion back into the Premier League and a reintroduction to the other 14. Currently sitting, as I've mentioned, 25 points off of 14. I'm only having won six, though, out of 14, so mm. less than 50% win percentage. Well, I was going to say, doing the maths on that, that must be quite a lot of draws in there for them and not many losses. It's six wins, seven draws, and only the one defeat, which coming for a championship side is not bad going at all. No, not at all. Just a lot of draws. and Attrit- whether- Yeah, probably attritional draws, but their only defeat this season goes back to um, August um, when they lost 1-0 at Vickers Road against a Watford side who now currently sitting in 10th and on, already on their second manager of the season. Um, no surprises there. It'll probably be their... I don't know, I think they'll end up with five maybe come the end of the season. Yeah, four or five, I reckon, though. Slav, I don't think, has got off to a particularly good start since um, since he's reintroduced himself into uh, English football. Um, Sheffield United are up there at the moment, um, but they are winless in four at the moment. Um, so a little bit of drop in form for them. How um, are absolute Premier League uh, Championship yo-yo team Norwich doing in the league so far? So, yeah, looking at it, Norwich are third in the table. They currently sit on 24 points from 14. And uh, life under, I can't remember. Oh, yes, uh, Dean Smith, of course. Okay. Dean so Smith, a uh, championship veteran. Yeah, a championship veteran took a bit of up and um, obviously was manager of Norwich when they went down last year. But obviously 
Delia has uh, seen fit to uh, keep Dean in charge, but doing uh, doing quite well. Um, life back in the uh, in the championship and are threatening again for um, from promotion. So okay. could we finally see? Could we finally see the end of the Norwich Fulham yo yo where they never actually play against each other? Could we finally see that next season? Well, if you're a Fulham fan, you're certainly hoping so, and they have had a really good start to the season. What I'm finding interesting, though, with how the Premier League table is starting to shape out with regards to relegation and who might go down, I've had a look at currently the odds. So just what the bookies are saying about teams that are going to get relegated. So there's not really a surprise that Forest are currently favourites to go down, currently looking at two to seven. that doesn't surprise me. doesn't surprise me. What does surprise me is the team that's second favourite to go down. You would probably go... Oh, well, what about Leicester? What about Southampton? What about Wolves? Yeah, they're making up places third, fourth and fifth favourite to go down. But currently, second favourite to go down is Bournemouth. I feel that's harsh now. I think it's harsh to still have Bournemouth up there as one of the favourites to go down. Gary O'Neill is still undefeated. Yeah. (laughs) And he's completely turned it round. And... I don't know whether the mar- like the betting markets are suggesting that because he's not been made permanent, there's a level of volatility to that. But having listened to a couple of Bournemouth fans talk about it, they're saying that, well, the main reason he hasn't been appointed the job is because they've got potential new owners coming in and they yeah. it will ultimately be their decision. But as we've said many times, you'd be stupid to get rid of Gary O'Neill on, on current form. Um, you would be you would be stupid, but new owners tend to always implement who they want into yeah. those positions. So I, I like you, like you, I would love to see Gary and be sort of given that opportunity to remain in that position. But ultimately, it does come down to what the new owners and it's more American owners coming in. Um, they always tend to 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 do things their own way. So you just never know with those sort of things. Absolutely. And it's just a weird one. It just struck me as a bit bizarre that Bournemouth were so close, yeah. like were our second favourites to go down. I mean, don't get me wrong, we, we had Bournemouth in the um in the preview pod. Um, absolutely. And I had Fulham to go down as well. I had yeah, exactly. Fulham and so Bournemouth we to go and uh, Forest to stay, yeah. which uh, turns out, ignore me, I know nothing. Exactly. I think I was very much similar. So ignore us. We absolutely know nothing about this sport. But yeah, I feel as though it's, it's harsh now for, for Bournemouth um, so to we sort could of still be in yeah. that um, sort of position in the bookies. Um, absolutely. So you're saying there's still a chance that, or there is starting to emerge a chance that um, Fulham and Fulham and Norwich actually play each other in the Premier League next yeah. season. I mean, as we know, the Championship is a very, very volatile sort of, um, well, it's a very volatile league. And it, trying to predict what actually happens in the championship is nigh on impossible. But Norwich at the moment is sitting pretty on 24 points, just one point below the automatic spots. Well set in that uh, those uh, playoff spots and playing particularly well right now. Um, remaining in those playoff spots, we round off with QPR, Blackburn and Reading, three other teams who have Premier League experience. So in terms of the top six, we're not looking at anyone in those... Uh, or out of those six teams that don't have Premier League experience or have 
in terms of recent years anyway. Um, Blackburn have, have been a while out of, out of the league. So it's, it's yeah, good Blackburn to see them. got given the boot quite a while ago under the Venkies, didn't they? That was it. Oh, God, what an era that was. Yeah, when uh, the fans set chickens onto the pitch. Yeah, that was it. Um, um, what, what was it? What was, an um, era of Premier oh. League football. I was about to say Steve Martin, but it wasn't. That's that's an act, that's a comedic actor. That is a comedic um, actor. Oh, uh, so was it Steve Keane? Yeah. Oh, let me have a look. What is uh, former? What the manager? Former took manager. Under? I think oh, Scottish guy Steve Steve Keane. Okay, I'm looking at the history of Blackburn Rovers managers. So yes, Steve Keane. So he was manager from December 2010 to September 2012. And he might have been the person to take them down. I'm just trying to see. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but Blackburn also being a team that actually not only been relegated into the Championship, but during that time away from the Premier League, also being relegated into League One as well. Yes, they have. Wow. They certainly go through it, don't they? Yeah. Or have recently. From a team that won the Premier League in back in 95, then being in a position where they're not even favourites to get promoted yeah. to the Premier League, having been even relegated then, is quite shocking. But they do go through managers quite a lot. Wow, I'm just looking at their manager history now. So they got relegated. Um, they then brought in Henning Berg, who lasted oh, God, a whole... Oh, I remember that. He lasted a whole two months. Yeah. They then brought in Gary Bowyer. Don't know either. Oh, so Gary Bowyer was temporary appointment. Yeah, and he got given um, just a a couple of just just the four games until they appointed Mike Michael Appleton, who got fifteen games and was sacked inside two months. Gary oh, Bayou yeah. then got the position again on a temporary basis for nine games, but then he was appointed it for full time and did two and a bit years managing overseeing one hundred and eighteen games. Yeah. And then they made the mistake of going to oh, just the managerial merry-go-round of appointing Paul Lambert and then Owen Coyle. And then Tony Mowbray, who then, in all fairness to him, did get... He was there for a while. He was. 267 games. So he was there for just over five years and did get them promoted. But now they're on to John Dahl Thompson. So... A, another Scandinavian. So, yeah, they've had a bit of an experience, haven't they? But, yeah. Um, so, yeah that, are you so saying still... playoff form at the moment? Is it from them? Yeah, I mean, currently they're still on 24 points from 15 games. So, in and around them, they've played one game extra. Um, but eight wins out of 15. And, yeah, though those eight wins are the most that any team has managed in the Championship so far. Um, but no draws and seven defeats. Wow, they are really hot. Or cold, so aren't they? Yeah, exactly. It's hot or cold. It's either win or loss for them. Um, so every every game week is an experience for any Blackburn fan. Um, and like I said, Reading finish out the the playoff spots, um, who have been in all sorts of issues in the last couple of seasons, and are actually sort of threatened with uh, relegation from the um, from the championship last year. So to see them in the playoff spots, really good for them. And but, then that, sort of, but that's under manager Paul Ince, who is an absolute traitor to the other fourteen. So yes, um, I I hope he doesn't get promoted with them. Yeah. Uh, then rounding out the um, teams in the hunt um, for playoff spots. So we'll probably go because it's still early on. We'll probably go down to the top 
uh, the remaining 10. Um, so you've got Swansea in 8th, Sunderland in ninth, and Watford in 10th. But All Scott, Premier League veterans. Yeah, but one um, team that you wouldn't really say Premier League veterans, and they currently sit in 7th right now, is, uh, is Luton Town. A small team on the whole, but... They've, which they've been a successful championship team for a while now in my in my mind they've been there for quite some time I think it was I think no I think their the first year was either last year or the year before oh wow okay um, Ignore everything they, I ne- say they nearly they nearly threatened um with promotion last year or nearly at least threatened uh, a playoff spot only well within the last you'd say eight years or so only really secured their position back inside the Football League. They were a non-league side prior to the 14-15 season. Oh, wow. Okay. And then managed uh, League 2 playoffs in 2016-17. Unfortunately, lost to Blackpool in the semi-final. Uh, Promoted back to League 1 the following season. And then um, successive promotion the following year in 18-19 after winning the League 1 title and then returning to the Championship after a 12-year absence. So it's been very much up and down. Uh, for Luton Town and now starting to knock on the door potentially who knows for uh, a place in the Premier League so those are ones that you know those are the sort of sides that I'm sort of looking out for you know we have the established sort of outside of the other 14 who keep going down to Championship and then coming back up but now having a team that sort of knocks on the door for those sort of established sides it's good to see well I know statistically because three go up and three go down every season there's going the Championship is going to be full of teams that have been in the Premier League and parachute payments always say exactly. a little bit as but well. So between like you're saying the top ten, you've got Burnley, Sheffield United, Norwich, QPR, Blackburn, Reading, Swansea, Sunderland, Watford. All of them have quite a lot of Premier League. It's not like they were just one season wonders in the Premier League. Most of them have had a good like four years minimum in the Premier League, haven't they? So I think that's uh, it's really interesting to see a team like Luton who have no Premier League experience actually might breaking into the other 14, which I'm all for. I think it makes football more interesting when you have a uh, sides like that breakthrough. Absolutely. Also, um, a slight correction of what I said earlier, they did actually manage to get into the playoffs last year. Oh, wow. Um, but they lost 2 1 on aggregate to um, to Huddersfield in the semi final. Oh, wow. Well, good on them to bounce back in a, in a strong way and yeah. uh. Let's hope for them that they. Uh, it'd be interesting to have a new face in the other fourteen. Absolutely, so good luck, Tim. So yeah, we will. Um, we will probably come back to this feature um, later on in the season. Just as a slight, um, just a, a quick drop in to the championship, just to see how other sides were getting on and see who could potentially be coming up for the following season. So we'll have another look in about. I reckon about another similar amount of games, probably towards the end of the um, end of the calendar year. Nice. All right. Well. Thank you very much for that, Tom, for that update on the championship. A wise man once said, teach a man to score and he'll be happy for a day. But teach a man to score a banger and he'll be remembered forever. It's goal of the week. Goal of the week. So, Tom, it was slim pickings this game week. Was there enough meat on the bone left for you to decide who is winning our goal of the week award? Unfortunately, we we have a little bit of meat, Reese, but it is like you said, slim pickings. Unfortunately, our, our other fourteen alumni only managed a grand total of nine goals between them this week, and three <laughs> of them were penalties. So 
me so, searching for goals of the week has been a bit of a, uh, so, a long So search. you're saying that there are six goals in contention at the moment just because they weren't from the spot? I mean, it might as well be a six. It might as well be a six goal shortlist at this rate because you know hang on. there hasn't been anything else. I'm going to narrow that down to five because Southampton's goal was a deflected goal assisted Fair. by a referee. Okay, we are so pretty much down. Okay, we should be to down five. to five. So in in reality, this is a very easy decision for you because there couldn't have been much to much to go. No, on. I'm trying to think who the fifth one was because um, I've got in my head at the moment. I've got the the Tony goal. He's first against Brighton. I've got the Rice curler against the Saints. And then you've mentioned Solanke's so and got... Lerma's goal against Fulham. And then the fifth goal in contention, well, I say fifth, it's not in contention because it wasn't a particularly good goal, was Issa Diop's goal for Fulham, which was a near post header from a corner, which was from oh, resu- yeah. which was resulting from absolutely terrible defending from Bournemouth. I mean, it, it, well, at this rate, it might, it might as well be on the shortlist, but it's not going to get it, unfortunately. So sorry, Issa. So who... Who provided the best for you this week? So I know you've mentioned, like, yeah, honourable mentions for uh, Dominic Solanke, uh, Jefferson Lerma. Um, Lerma, I'm probably going to immediately sort of rule out because, yes, he did score a, a good goal, to be fair, but I'm going to rule him out straight away because he then gave away the penalty. Oh. So that's just, I, I've, I've done, you know, been, talking about consistency now, yeah. I, think I've, I think I've mentioned that before against... Um, La- last week, Andreas Pereira, you ruled out, even though he scored that was a it. goal because yep. he gave away a stupid penalty. So I've got, I've got, to, I've got to be consistent. We, you know, I'm not going to be hypocritical. So if he's scored a good goal and then immediately conceded the penalty or given, you know, been sent off or whatever, that dems the rules. So unfortunately, Jefferson, you are not on uh, for goal of the week this week. Um, so then it does sort of boil down to Dominic Solanke, uh, Ivan Tony, and Declan Rice. We mentioned Dominic Solanke. Good team goal. Nice finish. Um, I think he's got a good um, record against Fulham. Uh, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but um, good experience in, in the championship last season. So, But my two really boil down to Ivan Tony and Declan Rice. Now, it's what's more pleasing on the eye for me. Okay. And as much as I, I, I do like Declan's rice finish and just sort of, that's his, I think it's his first goal this year, isn't it? It's um, his first goal. Uh, it's definitely his first goal this season in the Premier League. And it's his, his first goal in a while. Yeah, he's, he's, well, it's his first Premier League goal in quite some time. But he did score a couple in Europe last season in the group stages for West Ham. So, um, but yeah, he's but definitely his first Premier League goal in quite some time. And as, as much as like, I do like the finish from Declan Rice and, you know, it's, it's nice to see him back on the score sheet after after a good uh, length of time. Just the Tony flick probably does it for me. It's just one of those goals where you, you, if you score it on FIFA, you just think, oh, that's sweaty. Oh, that's sweaty. So tough luck, Declan. But I think my goal of the week this week goes to Ivan Tony. Well, congratulations, Ivan Tony, on winning a goal of the week contest, which... <laughs> it you, wasn't the best one. Yeah. It's, I would say toss of a coin, but that's one of two chance, but it's actually pretty similar yeah. odds given the quality of the output. Well, at least looking forward to next week, we have a double game week. So yeah. we should hopefully have more than just the six non-penalty goals no. to pick from. So, um, But well done, yeah, Ivan I'm, put, Tony. I'm, I'm putting the other 14 on notice that they should um, they should be doing better. Mm, that's, that's, my, um, that's my tactical input. Uh, absolutely we deserve more we expect more but congratulations Ivan Tony this week we have a listener question from 
Patrick from Peterborough. So he has said, with Ivan Tony rising from League One to possibly feature in the England squad at the World Cup in Qatar, who is your favourite player to have risen from not much to becoming a star? So we've got actually, there's quite a lot of other 14 alumni that have very much done this who have not come from much, and even players that are still playing. Off the top of my head, I look at players like... Uh, you have to talk about Jamie Vardy. Well, of course. You, Jamie Vardy really came from nothing, signed for Leicester for a million pounds, and then became a Premier League winner, which is my household name. Exactly, an absolute household name, but has become incredibly famous uh, from it and just an absolute star. I then look at other players that have risen from non-league to do well in the Premier League. It wasn't that long ago that Jared Bowen was applying his trade for Hereford United. He then had a couple of seasons in Hull before then being picked up by West Ham. So that's another uh, another career path that's kind of accelerated quite quickly. Um, is there anyone else, Tom, that you can really think of? That Well, I wouldn't class this, um, this player as one of a, a favourite, uh, particularly, but if we're looking for that sort of rise from non-league, non-league to sort of stardom, um, a player that isn't currently playing his trade England right now in the Premier League, uh, but does have some other 14 experience, um, is Chris Smalling. Absolutely. He signed from... Uh, he signed, went to Fulham from... He was Maidstone United, wow. who are currently in the fifth tier of English football, uh, applying their trade in the National League. Nice. Um, staying on uh, West Ham, I can think of uh, Mikel Antonio, actually played at Tooting and Mitcham in non-league for quite some time, before then very much worked his way through the leagues as well, because it wasn't straight into straight into stardom for him. He did have a couple of stints at a couple of clubs throughout the EFL before then landing in the Premier League. Um, I can then think of uh, also Glenn Murray, actually, although an English yes. player, played uh, played in the States for a bit on the semi-professional level. So that's very much out of nowhere. Um, for me, though, as Jamie Vardy is an iconic mention, uh, yep. He went and won the Premier League. But although this player did then go on to play for Arsenal, he did actually also play for Crystal Palace, where he became a huge success, and then also West Ham. I can't not mention Ian Wright. Yeah, I think, yeah. Um... He, he was a Sunday League football player at the age of 21. Yep. And he then became an absolute star. He went to Crystal Palace and was phenomenal. And then obviously went to Arsenal and became one of their, well, became a record goal scorer for the time being. But then he had stint at West Ham as well. Like that arc for a player and trajectory is absolutely phenomenal. And the thing with um, him right, that, that I absolutely, you know, he's such a lovable guy as well. And um he always sort of remains level-headed. And, and the one thing that always sort of sticks out of me, and so it's a video that I always, always sort of tend to go back and watch quite a bit. Um, you've probably seen it a few times as well, is when he's back, I think I think he was still playing for Arsenal at the time. Um, and there was a, I don't know when the documentary was made, but basically he's sitting um, back in the old Highbury Stadium 
in his Arsenal playing days. And then his um, old PE teacher comes in and actually surprises him. Mr. Pigden. I think Mr. Pigden was was his name. Um, and then surprises him. Um, That's adorable. And sort of, uh, thinking, you know, Ian actually thought um, or heard from a few sort of voices that, um, that his old sort of PE teacher had died a number of years ago before that video was actually shot. Um, and then surprises him in, in Highbury. And it's just, that's one of those sort of really heartwarming and wholesome videos. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think then goes on to become an absolute star in the Premier League and sort of an all-round great guy and just one of our favourite pundits now. So oh, a great absolutely. career in football. Thank you. So he went from a Greenwich Borough to then getting getting to Palace and then play scoring 90, 90 league goals for them in six years. Then he got the big move to Arsenal, spent a number of years there, then proceeded to have um, a season at West Ham, then also played at Nottingham Forest as well. So most importantly, in six years, he went from playing for Greenwich Borough to then featuring for England, which for me is absolutely bonkers. You don't like Vardy is similar in that in that he came through and became like a Premier League, like I'm not going to say legend, but it, they do have that kind of mythical status about them doing something like that. And Vardy going from from like non-league football playing with an ankle tag on is and that like they're both remarkable remarkable stories to both of them. Obviously, Ivan Tony's is a little different, but. He did play quite a quite a while at Peterborough before then getting his big moment, and he has the chance now to go, and he's playing like it. He will be going to Qatar with England. He should, yeah. If, if he, he should doesn't, be. then yeah, should, everyone like, should, should be outraged. Stay, should he stay fit, which he has a pretty good record of staying fit? It, it's madness going from Peterborough to England in just a few years. And I know Peterborough aren't just some small team; they're don't. Peterborough itself is a city with a reasonably sized football club, but it's mad. I just, I just think it's incredible that these players have such determination and ability that even when you kind of go, oh, I'm not playing for a particularly good team, they still dig in and fight for their chance and their opportunities to grow. And, yeah, absolutely. And it's just a completely different story and timeline from players that get brought into academies when they're like seven, eight years old. And then go through to the. Like if you look at the tra- two different tra- trajectories of player, and I'll stick with another fourteen here because um, he's currently there. But you look at the likes of Jesse Lingard, went through Manchester yep. United's youth system, went on loan a couple of times, and then eventually kind of had that right. And I'm not saying he didn't work hard, but he then got through to the Man- Manchester United start eleven. And then kind of the career went a bit stale, depending on manager turmoil. Then he went to West Ham and had a real opportunity to fight and became a success. And then it, in my opinion, it just seems a little bit that he's, he has sold out for money going to with that move to Forest. Um, well, if you look at the likes of Vardy, he potentially had options to move away from, move away from Leicester. Yeah, but he stuck there because they gave him the big opportunity, and he's become an absolute hero there. Yeah, and he's remained level-headed throughout this entire time and just, just gone on. He, you know, he, he, I think it's probably just starting to show a little bit in terms of his age. Um, now just more consistent in terms of injuries. But um, he's a... You mentioned that uh, he would not, not go down as maybe like a Premier League legend, but 
he's part of the 100 club now, which is actually, you know, thinking about it, is just another sort of string to his, you know, string to his bow. Oh, it's mad that when he joined the Premier League not that long ago in the grand scheme of things, and he's now part of the 100 club. I, yeah. That, that's a phenomenal and has the, thing. And still him. has the record for um, consecutive goals in consecutive games. And that was right at the start of them being like, oh, our, our lesson. That was, yeah, do that it. was during that, that season, wasn't it? It was just, um, you know, sort of watching sort of game game week after game week, sort of seeing if, he, if he'd break the record and then just, um, or was it Martin Tyler's comment, commentary? It was, um, it's it's 11, it's heaven for Jamie Vardy, that line. What a player, what a guy. But for me, thank you for the question, Patrick. But Oh yeah, fantastic but, question, thank for, you. For me, it's um, it's Vardy and Wrighty who are, yeah. who are the best. I'd probably put Wrighty over Vardy just because of how, much I enjoy writing sort of punditry and how, you know, since he's retired as a, as a player, almost like a national treasure, really. Oh, absolutely. He's uh, he's absolutely phenomenal. And also the way yeah. that he's uh, recently been supporting, yeah. I was gonna supporting say, the women's football yeah, as well. Huge, I think huge advocate for the women's game. Exactly. Absolutely love him. Thank you for the question, Patrick. And if you have a question that you would like to ask us on the podcast... Um, then please do get in contact with us. You can find us on Twitter at Other14Podcast or alternatively, you can email us on theother14pod at gmail.com. That's theother14pod at gmail.com. Moving on now to our Fab Four predictions game. (laughs) Going into this week, Tom, I had a lead of four points over you with me being on 15, you on 11 so i've just got a quick question for you what do we and the forest owners have in common um incompetence pretty much spawn clearly none of us know anything about football so it was an absolutely oh my god what a week shambolic, shambolic week for us neither of us got a single point so I, I will point out, and this isn't any sort of excuse for me, but I managed to get Brentford's total goals correct and Wolves' total goals correct. But it means it means nothing because nothing else came through. But there is one sort of shining light, and that's all I'm grabbing at right now. Yeah, you're really clutching at straws there. So <clears throat> looking at the results, so Brentford-Brighton was 2-0. Um, you put it as two all. I went for two nil, just uh, wrong way round. Then In the wrong direction. <laughs> yep. Wolves v Forest was a one nil win for Wolves with that second half goal. Uh, neither of us had faith in uh, faith in. Why Wolves, you went really for to... a two nil Forest win? I have no idea. Look, it, this was. I thought they were going to have a new contract bounce for Cooper. Not did, I didn't know that they were then going to go sack their head of recruitment. I didn't know things were that bad. Then our third game was Leicester v Palace. Great for fantasy football because I had a Leicester defender and a Palace goalkeeper. However, both of us thought Leicester were going to go on a bit of a run. But they didn't. And it was... They they got a point, which I think is good, which has taken them off the bottom of the Premier League table. But it's not enough at this point, is it? Looking Looking at the odds at the moment, they're still third favourites to go down. And then rounding off the weekend with the Sunday afternoon kickoff, 
Southampton v West Ham. We both thought Moyes' men were going to take away all three points from St Mary's. And we were not correct there. And it finished 1-1. No. One, one. Um, I think in West Ham have the moral victory in that game. Because, Doesn't count me Fab Four, though. Yeah, we do not award any points for moral no. victories. So a little bit disappointing for both of us there. And the points still remain 11-15 yeah. to me. The less said about that, the better. Exactly. But the good news is... We've now got two game weeks to look forward to in just the seven days. So, Tom, can you tell us what fixtures we have to look forward to over the next seven days? So, first of all, let's look at game week 12. So, what we've got coming up, we have Brighton against Nottingham Forest. It is Crystal Palace taking on managerless at the moment, Wolverhampton Wanderers. It's a South Coast derby between Bournemouth and Southampton. Brentford and Chelmsford in the London derby. It's Leicester City and Leeds United. Fulham take on Aston Villa. Newcastle host Everton. And it's Liverpool against David Moyes' West Ham. Looking on to game week 13, Nottingham Forest looked to round off another week in what is the wonderful, wonderful world of Nottingham Forest against Liverpool in the early kickoff on Saturday. Everton play host to Crystal Palace. It's Aston Villa against Brentford. Manchester City play host to Brighton. Wolves take on Leicester City in the Midlands Clash. Southampton host Arsenal. It's Tottenham going up against Eddie Howe's high-flying Newcastle. West Ham host Bournemouth. And it's Leeds United against Marco Silva's Fulham. Did I miss Villa Brentford? So it's quite a rammed week of fixtures, isn't it? So some teams have a bit of a rough run in there. Just looking at Villa, for example, you see it as a good opportunity. Well, at the start of the season, you would have gone, this would be a good opportunity for them to kick on with fixtures against Fulham and Brentford. However, they are both top half teams now, and it's hard to see much more than losses in those for for Villa. Um, Obviously, a tough duo we've mentioned already for Forest playing both Brighton and Liverpool. And then Leeds, probably, they haven't been great recently, but opportunities against Leicester and Fulham, maybe they've got a chance to turn things around. Um, But we do have our selected games for the Fab Four competition for the next week. So games from game week 12, we have Fulham hosting Aston Villa and... Leicester v Leeds. They are both Thursday evening kickoffs. So, Tom, Fulham v Villa. How do you think that's going to go? Villa obviously lost the weekend and it's starting to turn a little bit sour in terms of the fans starting to turn on Stevie G. However, can Stevie you blame them? Match... Well, no, I can't blame them at all, but the performance looked there there was effort there just wasn't any finished product and two mistakes granted from uh, Emmy Martinez and Tyrone Mings led to the Chelsea goals but there did seem to be a fair bit of attacking threat and to be fair Graham Potter tried some weird formation because obviously a lot of injuries and for some reason had Raheem Sterling playing at right wing back um, for the start of the game um, but 
again, there's just no sort of clear cut end product with Villa. And I can probably only imagine that they're going to score one goal. Um, and I think it will sort of continue to go down that sour path. So I'm going to say a Fulham 2, Villa 1 result. Oh, okay. 2-1 to Villa. Historically, this game uh, between the two teams, Fulham have won 25 of them and Villa have won 25 of them with 22 draws. So I'm actually going to, along with you, I think Villa are going to get one goal. But I think it's going to end up being a 1-1 draw. So that's my prediction. So then we've got Leicester against Leeds. So Leicester very much desperate to pick up points. Last week we said about how they've got this run of games that they should be getting points. Obviously, they didn't really succeed in that at the weekend. How do you think they're going to get on against a Leeds team which haven't been hitting full stride? So Leicester-wise, a bit more assured recently in defence. Putting the... Bournemouth game aside, that's two clean sheets in three now for them. Mm-hmm. Leeds have been struggling to score goals in, uh, I think it's now four goals in six games, I think off the top of my head, um, since their um, since their victory over Chelsea. Um, quite a while, I think back in August now that, that, that happened. But Leicester without James Madison at the weekend. Okay. I think he was booked for simulation, so it was, uh, it's got a, um, got a ban coming up. What a silly boy. It's a very silly boy. And also five five yellows already? That's kind of mad. Um, or is it a new thing now where it's three? Or I, I, anyway. No, it's, it's, it's been for quite a while. You get five and then you yeah. miss a game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Madison out at the weekend. So, I, I can't see it being nil-nil. I just think Leeds, Leeds again looks good and Bamford looks active and energetic but just, again, really poor in front of goal and missing the penalty. I am sort of swayed and think that Leeds will continue on their winless run, um, but they'll put in a good performance. I reckon that Leicester will snatch it by, again, I'm going to say two goals to one. Well, I agree with a lot of your reasoning in terms of how about how the teams will approach the game and their current play? I just, whenever I seem to back Leicester on Fab Four, they never yeah. seem to perform, and I want them to perform. I want them to do well because I think, well, I've turned around and said I think they'll survive. So, kind of out of my own pride, I need them to. So, I'm going to say that Leeds are going to win three one. Oh, oh. Okay, then heading into the weekend's fixtures, we've got the Saturday three o'clock kickoff of Everton v Palace to predict. It's uh, really don't know which way this will go. To be honest, Tom, because they're teams that have kind of hit. Both teams have hit a level of stability in the table, thirteenth and fourteenth. Saying that they are already both two points away from the drop zone, so three points yep. are very much needed here. And only two wins so far in the league for Everton. So um, at this point in the season, oh, to um, only two, only two wins for both. They've had very similar seasons. Yeah, 
Yeah, and very, they've, very uh, both, they've both won two, drawn four, and then they've pretty much scored and conceded fairly identical amounts as well. Yeah. So Everton going into this game obviously will be on the back of a um, fixture against Newcastle. Palace uh, play host to Wolves in the game prior. So I sort of looking at what those teams might be doing in those games. I can't see Everton getting anything out of the Newcastle game. I just think Newcastle at home might just be a little bit too strong for them. Um, even though it's two of the best defences in the league, I still think Newcastle might be able to snatch that. Um, and then Palace up against managers Wolves. Wolves did get the result of the weekend, but it was via a penalty and it was a game that was largely to forget. Um, and at home to Sel- and at home at Selhurst Park. So then going into this game, um, I think Crystal Palace might be looking at slightly stronger um, potentially coming into this game. So I think it can be close. I reckon it'll be 1-0 Palace. It'll be 1-0 to Crystal Palace. I agree with you. I think it'll be a tight game. Um, Saying that, a lot of their previous results have involved a fair amount of goals. So the last three matches between them in all competitions have been 3-1, a 4-0 and a 3-2. Both teams have conceded about the same amount of goals this season. So they don't they're not particularly leaky teams. No. But I could see there just being a bit of chaos. Um I think Everton I just don't see scoring a huge amount of goals. I know that they've got Neil Malpay in, but other than that you don't really see where the goals are coming from. Well, I think Palace do have a good amount of attacking options. So they've got Ayu, Elise, Eze, Zaha, Odson Edward. So I think Palace are going to win this 3-1. And then to round off our Fab Four predictions, we've got the Monday night football with West Ham hosting Bournemouth. So this is Gary O'Neill returning to West Ham, where he had a couple of seasons. Um, I believe West Ham in the past have a fairly strong record against Bournemouth. Bournemouth being the first Premier League team to visit the London Stadium as well. Uh, they ended up losing that game. I think a Mikel Antonio got separated the two. So where do you think the goals are going in this game, Tom? Oh, where are the goals going in this game? Um, so let's have a look. Bournemouth are playing Southampton against the poor Southampton in the prior game and West Ham will be at uh, Anfield. Um, so tough game there. Bournemouth under Gary O'Neill, we know he's been on a bit of an unbeaten run. I'd like to think that their ownership issues will be rather resolved at the end of the week potentially. Um, it does seem as though it's in the final sort of throws of that, um, even though I don't think that should really affect anything that's sort of happening on the pitch. But it is now, what, like six, six or five or six games now that Gary Neal's been in charge? Yeah. Like, I can see them beating Southampton. It's just whether or not they can continue that run. I think it might just be maybe just a stretch too far for them. Um, but again, Bournemouth aren't necessarily a side that leaks goals at the moment, even though obviously they've, they've learned a little bit from their 9 0 um, clearly they have because they've obviously been on a good unbeaten run um, but I think West Ham is sort of the um, starting to get things together now starting to tick um, I still think it's going to be quite a cagey affair I think it's going to be quite a close game 
Um, so I will probably go for a let's go let's go two one West Ham. A two one West Ham. And I know um, that means me predicting three two one results, but I just think uh, those those games that I predict are going to be just sort of quite cagey affairs. Yeah, enough. Um, I think this is going to be the first crack in Gary O'Neill's uh, armour of uh, or why he should stay as manager. And I think West Ham, although they've had defensive difficulties and obviously not being able to field a strong, well, an ideal defence, I think David Moyes has been able to tighten them up a little bit and they've started to score goals. They've started to show a bit more threat. So I'm going to just say an out-and-out 2-0 result to West Ham. I think they'll keep the clean sheet there. Fair, fair. If, uh, If you're a betting person... Don't bet on any of these results to happen because based on last week, we are terrible, incredibly bad at this and you will not get any winnings on return. Now we've predicted our Fab Four. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Other 14 podcast. So thank you for downloading and listening to this week's episode with Tom and myself. Please subscribe to us and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Also, do recommend us to your friends, family and other supporters of The Other 14. We are now available on all good podcast platforms, including Google, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So, it is a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from me. And we'll see you next week on The Other 14 Podcast.